In this episode of Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. And so, so quite oftentimes people will buy a home, things start to happen in their house, and then they realize something happened on this land. Would you want to live there? Would you want to live on top of land where there are people who are laid to rest underneath? Hey y'all, I'm Shannon. Thanks for tuning in to Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. In this week's episode, we sat down with T.C. Michaels of Gentile and Bard to talk about Savannah's dark side. History, murder, death, and disease have all contributed to Savannah's notoriety as one of the world's most haunted cities. But did you know that mysterious events are still happening today? Take a listen. So I'm T.C. Michaels, and I am co-owner of Gentile and Bard, in which uh, we are public historians, my wife Brennan and I, and we also host tours to guests who come to Savannah. People ask me, so what's a great story? Like if I was writing a great story about Savannah, a great haunted ghost story, I immediately would tell them Alice Riley, Richard White, and the early Irish who came to Savannah. It has everything. And that particular story began as them just being indentured servants on a ship. And they're supposed to go to New England. That's where they're supposed to go, not coming to here. But it's a small little wooden ship, and they hit this perfect storm where suddenly I could not imagine being on that ship. People who you know are getting to know along a seven-week voyage, and next thing you know, they're thrown overboard. They're dead in the icy waters. And food being thrown overboard. Next thing you're starving. You're holding on to your lives. And the captain decided to come south. So January 10th, 1734, James Oglethorpe, he notices a ship coming up the river, and there's only six women and 34 men who survived this voyage. And there were dead people on the ship as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the Irish community began in Savannah, because he then offered to purchase their contracts from all the families up north who had their contracts. And so he then issued them here as indentured servants throughout. But the thing is, is that they were alive and they had a place to possibly establish a home. So Alice and Richard, the gentleman who bought their contract was a man named William Wise who lived across on Hutchison Island, who was not a well-liked man at the time. There's accounts of him being just an uh, incredibly abrasive individual, not a kind individual. So people said, go live across the river. Mm-hmm. So he lived on Hutchison Island. But now you kind of think they're, 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 they're away from everything they've ever known. They're in this new world. This gentleman now owns their contract, and they have to tend his land. They're isolated over in Hutchison Island. And uncovering the history is fascinating about this, is because James Oglethorpe wasn't here. He was over in England on a trip when Alice Riley and Richard White, they did decide to kill William Wise. Now, there's many different theories of why they would kill him. Now, perhaps he was known to be such an angry individual to beat them and to abuse them. And so there is a fascinating letter that still exists to where you kind of piece the history of it, which was James Oglethorpe gave power to those who lived here while he was gone. And so the accounts that we have of those people who are living here, now granted, there's people who never governed themselves for the first time. There's people trying to establish a, a new way of life, and they're now in charge. They have a decision to make. And so according to this interesting letter that uh, that is part of the records is that They killed William Wise, possibly out of desperation, not winning that lifestyle, living it again. And so they're isolated over there being beaten. And so they dumped the body in the river. Richard White, he quickly ran into South Carolina. Alice Riley, she ran south. Now, to top us all, Catholics were banned from Georgia and South Carolina at the time because of the war that they were having against the Spanish in Florida. So now you have 
two Catholics, banned originally. James Oglethorpe took pity upon them because they're Irish Catholic. And so now you have two Catholics at the time who are on the run. And which the culture was, if they're found, they're going to assume they're Spanish. And so it was an interesting thing. And so they were caught, and Richard White, no mercy at all, immediately took him over to where Wright Square stands today, which is where they did hang him. And so now he's dead. But Alice Riley became fascinating, where the story becomes really intriguing, because Alice Riley, right before they were about to hang her, bring her, take her out to the square, she revealed to them that she was pregnant. Oh, boy. And actually, you know, the stakes are higher. Yeah. So it puts you in the eyes of those who are in charge. And you now are upon a woman who is presenting to you that she's pregnant. Would you believe her? Would you not believe her? Is this all part of her master plan in order to escape? And so they decided to wait. And so they decided to wait to see if she was telling the truth. And in fact, she was telling the truth. So she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now, to this day, we don't know whether it was William Wise's child. We don't know if it was Richard White's child. However, the thing is that she was pregnant. And so they decided to wait. So you look at the timeline of events is that 1734 is when Richard White was hung. And so December comes around in 1734. Alice went into labor. And when she went into labor at the time, think of her. All of this is built up. All is built up in her and her child is growing within for these months. And in her mind, I cannot imagine whether she was thinking, I'm going to be hung in that square Mm. at one time. I'm going to die with that rope around my neck. And when she had her child, they wrapped the child up, took the child out of the room, and did inform her, you will not be seeing your child's face. Now, there's many different theories of what that could have possibly been. For one, would they not want her to see the child just because they want her to have that emotional upon her knowing that her fate was going to be hung and she's going to be sentenced because she was a murderer. So they waited until January 19th, a month later. She was hung. And... The fascinating thing is in the letter, it states that her child's name was James. And then all you read in the letter is the child expired 45 days into life. That's scary. I mean, think about today's context. I mean, that's incredible things that were taking place at the time. And so when you take places of that connected with paranormal activity of today, is you got to look at those finest places where there is a concentration of death. And then you think about the souls and the, being stripped away from their bodies. And there's places where Savannah's like that, whether it is uh, battlefields like the Siege of Savannah, and, or is it like the hangings in the right square. And when it comes to that, you take that and tie this history, is that you notice a lot of it has to do with the land. A lot of it's with the land in our city. And so that adds another interesting aspect about Savannah is I do tell our guests, I say, there's many things that happen inside of homes. There's a lot of tragedy happens inside of homes, and we're going to share those stories with you. But I want you to really keep an essence of the land of Savannah that is so significant as well, where many people don't even realize, you know, people say, what is the initial thing that separates Savannah from many other cities? I said, well, if you were in a place like Charleston, which is an incredibly beautiful city, what you'd be seeing about every four or five blocks or so is one of the most beautiful churches you've ever seen. And there's Stunning, stunning churches. And you notice right next to the church is a, is a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a difference. Graveyards are next to churches. Cemeteries are separate on their own plot of land. And I always tell them, I said, so think right now of your dream home. And think about everything you've ever wanted in that dream house. Everything you've ever thought of that you want in that home. And your home sits, you know, dream house is going to be right next to a church, right next to a graveyard in Charleston. And everyone knows that a lot of those graveyards go underneath the houses surrounding it. Would you want to buy that house? 
Then I expand it with Savannah. I go, well, Savannah, we did not know where the cemeteries were. They were discovered over time while discovering our history and our past. We don't have graveyards here. We just have cemeteries. And so, so quite oftentimes, people will buy a home, things start to happen in their house, and then they realize something happened on this land. And so there are blocks of our city where there are still remains of the deceased. And then you see a beautiful home. You see a block of houses. like, would you want to live there? Would you want to live on top of land where there are people who are laid to rest underneath? And it's interesting of who you talk to, because some people say, oh, it doesn't bother me. They're dead. And the other people say, no, not really. It kind of makes me uncomfortable just a little bit. Just kind of know, you know, that they're there. And so we will share, you know, the first cemetery, Savannah, is right there over near Wright Square. And so it's right where you have the corner of Bull Street and York Street is where you have it. And it extends all the way from, uh, from York Street going down to Oglethorpe Avenue. And so you have a big block where today you don't even realize it. Mm. And so it, it starts to get in your mindset a little bit. And it becomes really interesting. It becomes fascinating of why did the city do it? Why would it be like that? Well, at one time it was just different culture. That's it. Mm-hmm. It was different cultural times where if they had a project and they needed some land or something that there was no underground plumbing at that time. So just go ahead and just build right on top. Yeah, it's definitely known as a city built on its dead. Yeah, that's what we're called. We're called the city built, built on its dead. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so for you, would you live in a haunted house? If you knew the place was haunted and you knew that it had a reputation for being haunted, would you want to buy that house? You know, I probably would. I think I've lived here long enough now. It's part of the mystique a little bit. And I think as a person that I always believe the best in people that are alive, I think I believe that of those that aren't alive, too. So I would just hope they were friendly. You would yeah. hope that it would be friendly. Yeah. Yes. And you hope they'd be friendly. But then mm-hmm. we have friends of ours who bought houses in the historic district. And so one of our friends said that there was a, a cross in the house when they bought the house. And it was over on Huntington is where they live, Huntington Drive by Forsyth Park. And she says it was a mysterious cross. And so my daughter was so intrigued by it that she's, oh, look, there's a cross. But the strange thing, though, is she'd leave the cross in one place. And then they leave, they come back, the cross would be in a different location of the house. And then she would tell me, she goes, and then one night I come down the stairs. My husband's on the couch. He's asleep. My daughter's upstairs sleeping. I come into the parlor room and I sit down. And next thing you know, I hear somebody coming down the steps and he's snoring. My daughter's upstairs and she goes, I call the people who we bought the house from and they go, oh, it's haunted. And they go, why didn't you tell us? And the previous seller said, you never asked. So think about even buying a house in Savannah today. Where you, will you be the one to go see a house and go, so can you tell us if this house is haunted or not? Yeah. You know, what are the things that have happened in this home? And my wife and I, we live in a 150-year-old house. And so we research the history of the home because we know exactly what took place in our house. And so it gets into your mind. It really does. You know, just just the history. But if you take it to that mystery, it's fascinating to discuss with people who are interested in paranormal, who are interested in ghost stories. I mean, even for you, when you think of ghost stories, what interests you in them? Is it true or not? Exactly. I want to know. If exactly. If you're a skeptic, if you're someone that's never had your own experience. And there's so many different theories of what paranormal activity is, and from yeah. my studies, it's been narrowed down basically to four different theories, which is many people who get um, relatives who come to visit them to make sure that they're safe, make sure they're sound. Another theory by scientists that's all simply just energy. And it's our imagination playing with our minds. 
And so when you capture something on a ghost detecting equipment, you're really just capturing that energy. I always find it fascinating with the dimensions. There's 11 dimensions in science. Only three have been proven true. Height, length, width. The fourth dimension is time. And that's still considered a theory. But the fifth and sixth dimensions becomes fascinating because in those dimensions in sciences, there's two worlds traveling along a common line side by side. And so per se, those two worlds crisscross in their paths. Well, will we get a glimpse of that dimension? Will they get a glimpse of ours? And so that's a fascinating little theory when it comes to it. So some people say, claim that they see a ghost or something and the ghost suddenly disappears. Well, if it was science, if it's true, mm-hmm. then it could be some of the different dimension. But the mo- number one most believed theory, though, is something that really puts people on edge more than all the others. And you look at all the horror movies that are all done. It is evil. Mm-hmm. It is the devil. It's God. Mm-hmm. It's light. It's dark. Angels, demons. And I think that's where the mindset of the fear comes is with that. So often people will ask us if anybody's ever been physically hurt, physical things. And when it comes to the stories of Savannah, we get the most activity near the Sorrel Weed House. That's where I've always encountered the most activity with my guests is around that home. And the home was built in, uh, completed in 1840 by Francis Sorrell. But I will tell my guests upon when we go into the house, I say, for the men, just be aware. I've had guests who felt pain. I've had pain in their chest, pain in their back area. I've had guests who've been scratched around here, burn sensations around here, nauseousness. And it happened the other night. It happened the other night where one of my guests, she comes up to me, she goes, I'm quite uncomfortable. I'm getting this chest pain right now. And so in front of everybody, I said, okay, we're going to try something. I want you to go right across the street over to that light. It's going to go away immediately. She goes across the street. Not even a minute later, I see her and her husband coming back to us. Says, how do you feel? She goes, didn't even get close to the light, and it went away. And then the same night, different girls, same thing. She got pain up and down her arms. And they said, when we leave the property, you're going to feel better. You know, and so the thing that's interesting to me is the consistencies of the hauntings that do happen to people. Because they are consistent in the what actually happens to them at the locations. And then you try to find the history and try to tag it. And the Sorrel Weed House, in fact, is right there near Madison Square, where part of the Siege of Savannah did take place right. on October 9th. Now, psychologists say that if you want to manifest something in your mind, if you want to see it, you'll see it. If you want to feel it, you'll feel it. And so that association. And so when you come into the city, if it's already preset in your mind that this is an incredibly haunted city, and then you start learning about the history and it becomes real, well, that's going to do something to your mind as well. But we always do share with our guests as well, you know, so we talk about a lot of this history. You talk about some amazing things about Savannah and the ghostly stories like Wright Square or even down by the river or Sorrel Weed House or battlefields. Uh, even in the homes, we share that these houses endured so much hardship and death through yellow fever in our city. And I said, it becomes so meaty in your house. Yellow fever, the first epidemic was 1820 when a fire did break out. And because of the remnants of the fire in wintertime, they couldn't rebuild the city fast enough. So when summertime came around in 1820, you had homeless families in the squares. And then because of the the heat and the rain, well, then you have the mosquitoes that come up. And then you have the animal waste. And then you have the combination to where yellow fever became rampant. Well, in our particular city that we did have outbreaks in 1854, 1876. And so now you're starting to connect the dots a little bit. 
there's a lot that's happened in Savannah. And when you take something like Yellow Fever, where they were quarantining individuals and family members in their homes, because obviously they didn't want the city to be spread upon the streets, and they did not know that it was mosquitoes. In 1876, there was a doctor in which you're reading his medical journal, and his medical journal had stated, for some reason we cannot figure out that it's its worst at sunset. That's when the mosquitoes come out. That's when we have the noceums. And they couldn't connect it. And so when you take that and you now own a home and you realize how many people, what was the tragic number of people who died even from yellow fever inside my house? And then you think of the stories of those families and you cover those families and you're like, wow, it's such mm-hmm. history that took place in our home. And then you have all these different little things that happen in history. And then I share with my guests, I share with my guests about what about right now? What about right now in our city and what's t- what could be taking place? And then I'll share about the incredible and rich culture of the hoodoo, H-U-D-U. And hoodoo is incredibly fascinating. It really is. Not voodoo, but hoodoo. Mm-hmm. And so Vudan is considered the mother church of both voodoo and hoodoo. And so hoodoo has been uh, in uh, these parts for, for many, many years. I mean, over hundreds of years. And the belief of the root doctors in hoodoo is the belief that they have the ability to conjure spirits to either do good or evil, most of the times for healing and with the rituals of their particular religion. So when you come about the faith and about religion, well, now you have hoodoo where um, they will go ahead and they will conjure spirits to then do things, do services, whether it's healing and everything. And so it's fascinating of cultures around these uh, part of around Savannah as well. Mm-hmm. And it's all still the storytelling of the city. It's all right now as well. I always tell people, so when you think about history, the amazing thing about history is it's constantly being written. Nonstop, all day long, history's being written. And your story's being written. So where is your connectivity of your story with the history? And when people start to combine those things and relate, that's when it becomes emotional. That's when you're affected. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something of a joyous history or something that's haunting. I, you know, there's, there's something you said that, you know, one of my, my one of my fondest things is, is I was curious, you know, to have those times of what it would have been like if all we did have today was still just the gas lamps. And it became nighttime. And you think at one time the way people were led themselves through the city at nighttime was that the person in front would have the main light and you would follow the light. Mm-hmm. Most likely that was a person who had been a servant to the family. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you walk around Savannah at nighttime, you think of that time. You know, it's a mystical, it's an eerie thing, but it's also, uh, there's a romance behind mm-hmm. that. There's a beauty behind that. I do share with my guests, as said, as locals, we feel like we live in a storybook every day. There's no other city like Savannah. There is none. I guarantee you there's no other city in the entire United States. When you enter, you have this immediate first impression like you're entering an incredible story. Just by looking around and seeing the squares and the Spanish moss and the, the beautiful homes. And you start listening. I always start listen to Savannah. Sit down in a square and you'll hear a musicality of the footsteps of the horses and carriages, the conversation. So if you want to go to one city where locals have so much pride that you can sit down in the square and we're sharing a story 
about our city to somebody. I even tell people, it says, if you're going to ask directions, just be prepared. Have you asked directions of where to go, someone from a local? They're going to share you a story about what took place and where you're going. Mm-hmm. And we have so much pride in it and beauty because it is like a storybook. But at nighttime, it changes. The story changes at nighttime where it becomes this, do you want to walk that way? No. There's a feeling that way. There's a feeling. There's something eerie about going that way. And it becomes even more intriguing to dive into what those stories are. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about one of the squares, which I'd like to touch on, especially now that we're talking about After Dark. Uh, I know for me personally, I've always heard a lot of different stories about Calhoun Square. And I have to say, it's one of those that I it makes me a little nervous to be in it After Dark. And I don't know why. Calhoun Square, which is heading towards the southeast of the historic district, is fascinating because it's very, very hidden. It's where the Massey Institute is, which is a fantastic place to go to, to dive into Savannah's history. And so you'll hear many stories around that particular square, uh, especially surrounding one particular home on that square. You know, you start diving into the history of, mm-hmm. of it, and that's when it becomes more real in your mind. And like I said earlier, where does fear come from? Like, Where do you think fear comes from? The unknown. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So fear comes from the unknown and fear comes from not knowing with the possibility of being hurt mm-hmm. some way, something negative happening. And it's that fear of the unknown. And so you just kind of start connecting it with history and the stories and going, you know, wow, okay. We've hosted people who have been scratched hosts of people who feel something, physical reaction to something. And you start looking at the history, seeing if there's any common place to it, and that's where the fear becomes fascinating and a little bit more real mm-hmm. when it comes to that and the paranormal activity. I'll never forget this. We were speaking to a wonderful, wonderful woman who used to own a local hotel, and she says that when I bought the hotel, the previous owner gave me a trunk of letters. It was a big, huge trunk of letters. And the previous owner said, read all these letters. And she goes, what do you mean? She goes, just do it. Read all the letters. I'm not going to tell you anything. You'll figure it out. And she goes, so I go home. I take the trunk. And then my husband and I sit down. And I open up and I start reading the letters. She goes, I just bought this hotel. And she goes, I'm going through the letters. And every single letter told of an encounter of a little girl by the guests of the hotel. And she goes, so it's interesting. All the letters said the exact same thing. She goes, became very, very haunting and apparent, though. Every single letter had completely different dates and different years on the handwritten letters. Hmm. And she goes, chills come down my spine of realizing we just bought this hotel. And we had no idea that this was taking place of so long of an encounter with a little girl. And so then you think of that, that you own a hotel, you have guests who come to you and strange things are happening inside of their rooms. And they said, what did you encounter? And they said, uh, I don't know why, but I woke up and something was brushing my hair open my eyes. There was a little girl standing there. What do you say to your guests? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, would you like another room? You know, and she goes, it just became so real at the moment of the history. And now today of people having these encounters. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes very fascinating is that consistency of the dots starting to connect right and savannah has it yeah we just have it it definitely has that allure the the juxtaposition of 
Like when you walk around at night, it's a little bit romantic, but it's also a little bit frightening. And it's you're kind of stuck in that limbo of I'm enticed by this, but I'm also a little bit scared. And I think you just nailed it. It was great. Is we are. We're so enticed. We're so enticed to know, to unlock that mystery of what does happen to us after we die. And people have their sound beliefs. I have my own personal sound beliefs and, you know, of, of truth in my heart of what it is. And everyone has their own. And I always tell people, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. All well-respected by me. And it said, just look into your own lives and look at your beliefs. And we are. We're enticed by this. We're enticed by this question of what happens to us. And people come to Savannah to try to discover the answer. One great story that I absolutely love. I love one of these stories is... Um, Patrick owned 1,790 in, mm-hmm. which many people go by 1,700. Because he was sharing my wife and I, he goes, one of my favorite stories is this. He says, this is a wonderful couple who are a retired couple. And they want to stay in the famous room 204. Or everyone wants to stay in 204 at 1,790 in. And he says, the gentleman was a military member. And so he was very, very disciplined and everything. And so every day, I'm sorry, every night, he would match his socks to the suit he was going to wear the next day. And he put the socks in his shoes. And so they stay the night in 1700, and he wakes up, and the socks were not in his shoes. And he goes to his wife, so do you know where my socks are? She goes, I'm not going to move your socks. I know you. She goes, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, well, I can't find my socks. And she goes, well, we're just going to go get breakfast downstairs. Don't worry about it. We'll get you some socks. I'm hungry. Let's go get some breakfast. They go downstairs. They move with their friends or have breakfast. And so then afterwards, they come back to the room. And it was a little chill in the air, and he's still getting ready. And she goes, well, I'm getting a little chilly, so I'm going to go grab a blanket. She goes over to the wardrobe, she opens it up, and on the top shelf was a blanket. She pulls the blanket out, and two socks pop out on her head from the top shelf of the wardrobe. She gets scared. She goes, here's your socks. (laughs) And Patrick says that when they share the story with him, he goes, I just wish, I just wish that they had like their camera rolling or something to see if these two socks actually floated to go into there. You know, and and they, they were on edge for the rest of the time. Oh, yeah. That they were staying there. Yeah, tons of great stories out of the 90 there. Yeah, Um, yeah. And Room 204 is, I mean, you hear all kinds of things about, is that the one with the woman in black, too? or? Yeah, 1790 is interesting uh, when we talk about the history. And that's one thing Mm -hmm. where the telephone game came into play, where a lot of different through the time Mm -hmm. and ages, the stories would change over that. The, The place was actually built in several different time periods and different years of additions, basically because of the growing of families who lived inside of that house. And so you will hear stories about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that particular place, it, it's fascinating just because of what does happen to people in in the hotel and in the inn, and uh, of stories of waking up and seeing just an apparition hovering over you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the story of the little boy, Thaddeus, Patrick calls Thaddeus, who will leave coins for people. Mm-hmm. And even Patrick was sharing me one time, says there's another little boy who, who will leave coins in random places. And he said that uh, one time he was hosting a meeting for the staff and he was having some fun with it. And, and he said, Thaddeus, you only leave pennies. Why is it only pennies that you're leaving all the time? You know, if you're going to do something, let's leave it something a little bit more, more than just pennies. And he said, after the meeting, he comes around the corner and there was two quarters sitting on the mirror. And he just said, he just, he just it was my jaw just dropped. I said, there's two quarters there. that weren't there when we started the meeting. And he's just like, okay, all right, Thaddeus, I got it, buddy. You know? And so, you know, it's those little occurrences yeah. that, that gets in your mind. So now you think about that mm-hmm. and you think about psychology and you think about now, if something happens to you, every time you go into that room, you're going to be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You will be thinking about it yeah. from that day forward. That's what is fascinating about being a local 
in the historic homes. Because when something does happen and you can't explain it and it becomes mysterious, mysterious to you, then every time you go into that room, just by habit, you're going to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to grow in you. And then something else happens. It's going to grow in you. I mean, the first apartment that we ever lived in Savannah, one of the scariest places I've ever lived in. The scariest place. Brenna, she calls me one day. She goes, I am not going back in until you come home. Wow. I'm not going back into that place. And we lived on the corner of uh, Liberty Street and Abercorn Street, right near the cathedral. And so, did you live in it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so, so she calls me one day and she says, so I was about to walk the dog and I come down the stairs and I hear just above me, this she goes, I hear the noises of someone following. She goes, I turn around to say hi to our neighbor. Nobody comes. She goes, so I go down the next flight of stairs and I hear the same thing above me. This She says, I turn around, nobody's there. She goes, so I took upon myself to go all the way up to the top floor of the entire building. I start knocking on doors and I realize that I'm the only one in the entire building. She goes, I'm not going back in there until you come home. And so from that date forward, it was in her mind is her mindset that she couldn't explain something, something happened of paranormal activity, and she just couldn't explain it, so it was in her mind. And then it got in my mind where people think I'm crazy. They think I'm nuts. And I said, no, this happened. This happened in our apartment, the exact same apartment. I rarely share this story because of how crazy it seems. And, and my wife was right there. Like you talked, it was right there. Is that she was in the front of the apartment one night, and she's on the phone with her mother, and I'm in the bathroom, and I'm brushing my teeth. And so the bathroom was right adjacent to the bedroom where the bathroom door was open. You see the entire bedroom. And so, and mind you, it was 650 square feet. It was a whole apartment, real small apartment. And so I'm brushing my teeth and I'm looking in the mirror and as I'm brushing the teeth, y'all behind me, I see a whole roll of toilet paper fly, graze the back of my head, hit the wall, it fell at my feet. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, wait, whoa. And I said, wait, wait. In my mind, I'm going, that just happened. It just happened. And here's become really freaky. As, as I started feeling strange things, my mind's working itself. I take the toilet paper and I put it back where it's supposed to be and put it on the other side of the room. I put it on its end. I come out, Brenna's looking at me, and realizing what happened to her is I said, I have to show you something. We come around the corner to go back into the bathroom, and I said, well, I put the toilet paper back. It was once again on the other side of the room. It was sitting on the floor on its end and the toilet paper was folded over the sides neatly. Like something had to intentionally place it. I looked at her and I, with lip sync, I went, let's get out of here. And we left. So we started just being so aware of this that we were just uncomfortable. We are just uncomfortable getting intrigued to try to unlock the history of what took place. And so uh, from that moment on is when we really became fascinated with the history of Savannah to dive even further, mm-hmm. dive even further into the stories to unlock it. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's intriguing. Yeah, I have chills just like, like would you? I mean, I'm afraid I, to go home. I will yeah. give you the address and you can go stay there because yeah, you can go stay there if you want to. Yeah. And now when you think about that, now, now you think of that, would you stay there? You know, I would, but it's funny how we were talking about earlier, like we see these houses, these historic homes, and as locals, we know the people who live there and things like that. I'm thinking the address, like my best friend lives around the corner. I used to live down there. I know a ton of other people. And it just makes you think if everyone out there who was experiencing things documented it or were telling their stories and things like that, how many more current 
things we would be hearing from everyone. I mean, it's it's just it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and whenever I have yeah. locals who do join me, mm-hmm. say on one of our night tours, and uh, and I love it when I have locals who join me. I love it because I love them sharing their stories. And when I'm sort of sharing little initial things about how there are stores here that sell sage, stores that sell holy water, all that type of things, they're nodding up and down. And I say, have you been in there? They go, oh, we go in there once a month. We all the time we're inside of there. You just become used to it. And people say, you're nuts. And we go, well, it's Savannah. Look how beautiful it is. You know, and strange things happen. And so people do things that make them comfortable in their own homes, whether it, whatever it is, whatever yeah. it may be. And so it's like you said, what you said, if people came out and just kind of shared their stories, you know, and that's the thing is, is people are like, I don't want to be, oh, you know, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to this or that. Yeah. And what it really comes down to is, is just, just, you know, kind of saying, I can't explain it, but I've seen it. I've felt it. And so be it. Mm-hmm. And then you're intrigued to dive into the history. Uh, Brennan and I with Gentile and Bard. We just love, love sharing it. And so we do invite anyone who wants to come join us and uh, during our morning history walk or our evening ghost walk and diving into the different types of history of the city. It's always fun. And so we do invite y'all. Just, you know, we love engagement. We love talking. So please come write to us, genteelandbard.com. And uh, follow us on Instagram, which is Savannah. And so we just really just love having that camaraderie and, and, and passion. And we even tell you the haunted places to go hang out at as well if you want to have a nice dinner but we'll say but don't use the restroom (laughs) use the restroom beforehand and don't use the restroom because something's going to happen to you thanks for tuning in to this episode of savannah georgia anything but ordinary this podcast has been brought to you by visit savannah the official destination marketing organization for savannah georgia and the surrounding area produced by tyler edick and hosted by shannon lowry make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform Follow us on social media at Visit Savannah and learn more at visitsavannah.com.